0: Oh, Jimmy, that was good. I don't know what else to say, man. That was, that was good. Yeah, if the kids want to go over. We have a thing for the kids. If you're welcome to, if you want to stay here and get preached to, it's whatever you want to do. But well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. We're gonna be there in just a little bit. We'll gonna bounce around a few minutes before we get there but that's where we're gonna finally land you know we have been <clears throat> talking about building your life into the Word of God and God into your life we've tried to take a number of approaches that we just really help you understand some things as they need to be defined in the Word of God we live in a day and age where there's so much misdefinition so much misinformation and uh <clears throat> I I think a lot of times, you know, I look at this so-called war on terrorism we're having, and I see that uh, some of the, you know, since 9-11, our world has certainly changed. And I I look at, you know, the terror alert level system that we have, and and I appreciate all that our country does to try to keep us safe. But I also know that in guerrilla warfare or guerrilla tactics, the greatest weapon you can have is the weapon of misinformation and uh, running people all over the place 24 7 uh, and coming up and with all kinds of plans that you're canceling flights you're doing this and doing that to really destroy in time uh, this nation will not be able to keep that up forever misinformation will will destroy this nation where the terrorist attack on the twin towers could not and for the rest of their lives they don't have to do a thing all they have to do is say they're going to do it because they know that we love our country and we love our people so much that we will respond to do whatever it takes to the tune of when we're on a certain alert millions and millions and millions of dollars a day and this country cannot keep that up and I think probably in time if something doesn't happen we're in for some serious situations but as I look at that I think to myself you know what that's exactly how the devil has destroyed Bible Christianity through misinformation through misdefining things and having God's people lose their definitions of things. And that's part of the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church is a church system that, that, that has no God, they have no Bible, but they have religion. They have things that are Christian, they have things that are spiritual, but they don't have anything that's scriptural or anything that's biblical. And it's much like the nation of Israel was in the Old Testament when they went into apostasy, that they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And because of that, God's people today are, are living their lives for God one way when in actuality God has nothing to do with that and it's all based on misinformation and and misdefining things in the Bible. And that's what the devil does best. When he showed up with Adam and Eve in the garden, it wasn't to get Eve to do some terribly dastardly sin. It was simply a aspect of misinformation. And he pulled the same trick that has been pulled down through history, that if a lie is taught long enough, people will believe it. And that's what we're faced with today, and that's where our, our battle is as, a, as, a, as Christians and as a church. Now, you know my heart, and you know I'm committed to, to changing that within our own sphere. I have no illusions that we're going to change the world. I'm not interested in changing the world. I'm interested in just taking what God gives me and preaching the truth. I have never been interested in results all of my life. God takes care of the results, but I am interested in the truth and i we have and I've tried to focus a lot of things on showing you how to get a balance in your life between your, your family your your work <coughs> your relationship with God, and all of those things and i've showed you how the Bible lays itself out doctrinally historically inspirationally, and last week i I showed you how to those things into your life in Isaiah chapter 28 where talked about the day you got saved you laid the foundation and the building blocks or the precepts and the principles of God and the line upon line is the doctrine that you build uh, that keeps your wall straight as you're building your temple for the Lord and we went through all of that and I'm just trying <coughs> I'm trying to before we get to the point where we really get into the Bible and I start teaching you book by book how the book goes and that's what we're going to do I've made, God has shown me that when we get to a point where we get these things divine, we're going to start in Genesis and we're going to come through every book of the Bible one hour on Sunday morning and I'm going to lay out the book so that when you sit down to study the Bible, you will have everything that you need to know what that book is all about. You may have to put some of the other details to it, but we're going to build a, we're going to build a, a, a base, a library that anybody coming into our church down the line can get the same material. We're going to put it in binders. and are going to look like the Bible. You know, we'll have an Old Testament, a New Testament, you know, and we'll, we'll put all of those things together in time. And my only goal is to help you uh, to get the Bible into your life. But in the process of doing that, there's things that we have to define, and there's things that we have to look at, and there's things that I want you to understand. And today I want to talk about the personal uh, application or the inspirational application. I want to define it for you. I want to talk about today what it means. And I want you to think about this. I want to talk to you this morning at what it means to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about what it means to have a uh, Him as your own personal Savior. Now those those are standard terms. Those are like the terms born again. That's like the term saved. You hear it a thousand times. There isn't a preacher in this world that doesn't get up and talk about the fact that you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We have worked that term so much and we have gotten all that material we talk about and all of those things and we put all the emphasis on having a personal relationship with Christ and you know what does it mean for Christ to be your personal sta- Savior but in the process of that we have lost the definition of that now Bible Christianity is the only original religion that really offers that I mean if you're a, a Catholic or a Buddhist or a Muhammadan or uh, you know uh, uh, you get the general concept of God but there's no personal one-on-one relationship Bible Christianity is the only, and I use the word religion, even though it's not, you know what I'm talking about. It's the only aspect in this world that really teaches you to have a relationship with God that is one-on-one. And uh, I want to define that for you. And you're going to have to bear with me today because this is going to be a hard message to preach. It's going to be hard from the standpoint that I'm going to try to get an idea across to you and a biblical definition of a personal relationship of God crossed to you, and, and that's really hard because there's so many things I want to say. And there's so many things that I need to say, and I guess in a message like this, it's just as important in the order that you say them as what you've got to say. So I want to build this thing to a point where we, we get to, uh, we, we, you walk out of here today and everybody says I understand it, I see it now, and I can, I can work toward that end. That's, that's, what, that's what I want to do. So let's ask God to bless us this morning and ask the Holy Spirit of God to open up our understanding, open up my mind, allow these things to flow the way they need to, and then we'll come back to the Word of God. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. And I thank you for these men and women that are here today, for their love for, their, for you, for the Word of God. And Lord, I don't doubt anybody's love that's here today. I don't doubt anybody's love that's here today for you. I really don't. And I'm not preaching this message as a as a gating message and, and, and jumping on all over people. I, I'm trying to convey in my heart uh, what I know to them so they'll have a better understanding so we can do a better job for you. That's all. I love these people. I would never chew these people out. I would never get on these people's case about anything. That's not my job. The hand of chastisement belongs to God. My job is to preach truth in a lovingly way and love these people no matter what happens, no matter what they do. So Lord help us today to see and understand and we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now I want to start by asking you this question. And I want you to think about this thing. This is going to be more of a philosophical thing today than, than than a, but we need to deal with this. How do you view the things of God? Now, when I'm trying to get this idea and this biblical definition of a personal relationship across to you, that's the thing I've got to ask you first. How do you view God, the Word of God, the things of God, and your own personal relationship with God? Now, in, in, in laying this out, I'm going I'm to have to use me for an example. But I, even though I'm using me as an example, I want to apply it to all of you. Because what is good for me is good for you. I am no better than you are when it comes to the Lord. Everything that God has given me, God will give you or has given you. I don't have any greater spiritually incept. I don't have any more of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not any smarter. I don't have any better abilities. I can't even play harmonica. I, I, I don't have anything better than you've got. So going into this, first thing we need to understand we're all even on this. And so what I'm going to talk about myself, I want to apply it to you. And I want you to understand that I'm not standing up here saying I've arrived and and preaching to you down here that you need to get up with me. I'm telling you we're all in the same mess together, and I ain't any better or I ain't any worse than you are, and our survival every day is the same. You struggle with the same things that I struggle with, I struggle with the same thing that you struggle with. We all have downtime in our lives. We all do stupid things. There is nobody in this room that is above sin, and we have to understand that that's where we're at. But I'm going to—I need to use me as an example. I want to apply it to you because in understanding this, though, I want you to grasp this concept: there, in your personal relationship with God, there has to be a part of my life as a Christian. And you know me. You know I love you. You know I love the Bible. You know I, I, I love everything we do. And I, we spend time together. We do things in the Word of God together. We eat together. We have fun together. We, I don't know of anybody that enjoys the things of God more than we do. And I, we laugh. I laugh. You laugh. We do dumb things. We have fun, you know, and we just do a, we do, it's a great thing. But there has to be a part of my life as a Christian that excludes all of you. There has to be a part of my life as a Christian that excludes my family. And I love my family. And every isn't a man in the world who loves his wife and his kids more than I do. And I understand all that in my grandbaby and the one to come, and all of that. And, my, and the boys that, uh, that God has given my daughters for, for husbands. I love them like they're my own son. In fact, I don't, I don't look at them any other way. They are my own flesh and blood. But in all of that, When I talk about my personal relationship with God and the Word of God, there has to be a point where you, as my friends, cannot go. Where you, as my family, cannot go. There has to be a place in your life where you realize nobody can go except you and God. And I came to that conclusion a number of years ago when, I, when I, I looked at all that God had given me. All of my friends, all my family... And all of the things that God, the good things that God has done and the bad things that God has done and all of those things that meet together, you know, and I say the bad thing, you know what I'm talking about. Now, just the, the scope of life, how God always takes care of you. And I look at all of that, and when I, when I thought about it in and, and light of the Bible and the Word of God, I realized that all those things are important. All those things are absolutely essential for life and the plan of God in life on planet Earth for us to fulfill the plan. But you know the real bottom line is? The real plan of God was nothing more than for me and God to have fellowship together. That's the bottom line. I love my family, I love my my church, I love my people, but the bottom line of my life, and the bottom line of your life, the reason why God saved you, and the reason why God saved me, in spite of the fact that God wants me to build a church, He wants me to win people to Christ, He wants me to let my body be the temple of the Holy Ghost, and bring people and men to Christ through all of that, and all of that, the real bottom line that that God loved me and saved me, above all else, God wanted to have fellowship personally with me. Now when I understand that, I put my family, my friends, my church, and every relationship in my life in the proper balance, in the proper order. And I come to the conclusion that if I don't have that first, I'll never be the husband or the father I need to be to my kids. If I don't have that first, I'll never be the true friend to you that I need to be. If I don't have that first, I'll never be the pastor that God wants me to be because it isn't based on Bob can really get up there and lay out the Bible. It isn't based on dad's always there when he needs me. It isn't based on, well, he never forgets my birthday and he'll buy me anything I want and give me all this within reason. Don't take this out any farther than what I'm saying, darling. But, but the bottom line is none of that would make a difference. None of that would ever even be here if it wasn't for the fact that God wants to have a one-on-one personal intimate relationship with me. And when I understand that, I I realize that my friends and my family are wonderful and all that I have in place, but you realize that none of it would even be here or even be possible if it wasn't for what God did for me Personally, And that personal relationship with God above all else. A place where nobody else can go. A place where it's just Him and I. A place where that, 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 that it's just right there. Forms an attitude in my heart toward God that, is, that drives me on and drives you on. And it it's so personal. It's so intimate. It's an attitude of heart that only Him and you, because I want to tell you something. God forbid. But in this life, things happen. And in this life, you better build a relationship and understand that the bottom line has to be you and Him because in this life, that's simply what it may come down to sometimes. That's exactly what be all you have. God forbid that you'd ever lose your wife, you ever lose your husband, you ever lose your kids. But things happen, and I'm telling you, whether it does or it doesn't, the bottom line is your personal relationship with Christ and that intimate personal place where nobody else goes is the only thing that will give you through this life when everything and everybody else fails you and leaves you. And we as God's people, me included, We are famous in our lives for really our lives just giving God what's left over. I know it's true of me. I know it's something I have to work on every day. I know that I look at all that I have and all that's out there, and God is good to you. And you know what you do, and we all do this. It isn't. It isn't anyone. Everybody. Every child of God has this problem of, of success that when you begin to take God for granted. We're happy with our church and we love our church and we'd never be anywhere else. We, were, we, we have seen the phoniness of things. We know what God has done and we love it and I sit around and listen to you guys talk about how much you love being here and the word of God and all those things and I, I believe every one of you but the bottom line is don't ever think that you won't come to the place some point where you don't catch yourself taking things in this church for granted. We talk about the Bible and loving the Bible and all the things that are in the Bible but I'm telling you be careful because you'll come to the place where the Bible will not be as special as it once was and it's, a, it's an automatic thing of human nature to start taking things for granted when things start going really good. And you have to have a place that is so personal and is so intimate that your wife can't go there, your husband can't go there, your daughters can't go there, your sons can't go there, the people in your church can't go there, that it's a place that's just where you and God, and that's where uh, you you go down to the uh, things in life where it's just you and Him. You know how I know that's true in life? Because it's true in death. And if there's ever a place where your personal intimate relationship with God shows up, And it better be there is when you die. Because the scenario is simple. Barring you're not killed in a car wreck someplace. You die of some terminal disease or old age or whatever and, and you love your family and your family's grieved and, and you're grieved and, and you're laying there in a hospital bed or you die or, or the last moments of your death and you, all your family around there and and you, and you love them and you're going to miss them and you can see their pain and you have pain and you have agony. But let me tell you something. When the point of death comes, you have to be ready to step out of this body Take his hand and walk with him and understand that everything is going to be okay. Because now you're just opening up that relationship that you had all along of the personal thing. And now you understand that this life was great, your family was great, your friends were great, your church was great. But that really wasn't the whole bottom line. The bottom line always was and always has been your personal one-on-one relationship with him. So when you have to leave this life and your family and your friends and your church and the loved ones, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That's why the Bible says it's okay to mourn. It's okay to have grief. But you also have joy. Because you understand God loves you so much and wants to be with you so much and will take you and carry you to heaven with him in a beautiful way. And I don't believe for a moment that the rapture is such an exciting thing and death is such a bummer. I believe dying and missing the rapture is just as exciting and just as intimate as Christ coming for you with the rapture of the church. I believe because we don't understand the personal relationship side, we don't understand the personal savior concept and the personal relationship, my personal friend, that we think it's only true for here and and it exists so I can have all this with my family. No, no. It exists because the bottom bedrock of every child of God is your secret place and your secret time where it's just you and him. And the reality of that is when you die. You have to leave your friends, you have to leave your dogs, you have to leave your car, you have to leave your possessions, you have to leave your house, you have to leave your family, you have to leave your friends, and it's just you and him. I, I, I think to myself, I talk about the crucifixion of Christ. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about this personal thing. Now I know that Christ died on the cross, If you would ask the average Christian, what does the crucifixion mean to you? He'd say all the right things. We are conditioned to say the right things. He would give you or she would give you the definitions that they have been taught and they've been told. And they could run you to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you could they would show you there Christ dying on the cross, and you would see that, and you would see the story there. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all give different perspectives of it, and you would see all of that, and you would say, that's the crucifixion. Let me tell you something, that isn't the crucifixion. That may be the crucifixion when you don't have a real personal time with Him. But I want to tell you something. I'm not concerned of the... I mean, I love the fact that He died for me. And I, and, I, and I love all of that. But I'm not overly impressed with the fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just shows me the event. I wouldn't go beyond that. Because I know to have a personal Savior, for me to make the decision to trust Christ... Or after I'm saved, for me to make the decision to give my life and everything, to build that relationship and do whatever God wants me to do, I'm going to need more than that. And God gave me more than that. Job chapter 30, Psalms chapter 22, Job chapter 16, Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah chapter 53, Psalms chapter 89. I'm going to tell you something. God gave me more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. God in those passages will account for every hour of the crucifixion. He'll allow me to look into the mind of God and see everything that he thought. Not just the, the, the grand uh, scheme of things that God is allowing His Son to die on the cross in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but a place where I can really understand what He felt and what He thought and the fears just like I've got and, uh, and all the things that must have been flooding through His mind and the crucifixion just doesn't become a stereotype that we talk about. It becomes personal to me. And then I come to a great conclusion. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son whoever believes in Him will not perished I believe that I believe intellectually that Christ died for the world and I believe intellectually that He died for everybody in this room personally I think He had my name on His lips on that cross sorry. You see, I can't claim that for you. If you can claim that, praise the Lord. You can't claim it for me. To me, the crucifixion is something personal. Hey, I'll tell you something. He says over there in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3, And I will give the treasures of darkness and hidden riches in secret places, that they may know us. I, the Lord, which calleth thee by thy name. It was my name he was calling on there. You say, no, it was mine. You say, no, it was yours. You say, no, it was mine. It was mine. It was mine. Okay, I don't care. You can claim it. Claim it. I'm telling you, I ain't claiming that for you. I got a personal Savior who paid a personal debt, and while he was hanging there in the agony of the cross, he was saying my name. I know intellectually. I'm not talking intellectually. I'm talking personal. I'm talking when he died on the cross and he's, he's feeling the agony and the bearing and the hell of all the devil's bringing from the sixth to the ninth hour when God turned his back on his own son. And it wasn't just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It wasn't just, I thirst, what a glimpse it is. Or, Father, uh, forgive them, they know not what they do. Or, Father, it is finished. It was much deeper than that. God's people take the easy route. They get the non-personal position of the crucifixion. You get into that book and let God show you what He was thinking, you understand what it means for God to be your personal Savior. I believe the Bible is the greatest book ever written. I believe it's the greatest book the world has ever seen. And yes, I do believe it'll do for you all that I've told you it'll do. Yes, I believe that it'll change your life. It'll give you understanding in all things. It'll help you. It'll teach you. It'll encourage you. It'll it'll grow you to be a... I know all those things intellectually. But personally, he wrote it for me. He wrote it for me. He wrote it for me. I'm telling you. And until you come to that conclusion that you realize that you had a personal Savior that thought about you on the cross, and then you've got a personal relationship that he wrote you a book, you'll never have the passion for God that you need to have. There will always be something else that will take your attention away. There will always be something else that will be the the, the flood of your soul. You'll never have that passion without understanding what I'm saying to you. Most God's people live their lives today simply like this. Nothing personal. Nothing personal. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I, I go to church. I tithe. I do all those things. But when it comes to me and God, nothing personal. nothing personal. I'm telling you, you see, God's people look at it as a Bible. I look at it as God's love letter to me. I don't look at it as a Bible. I don't look at it as some book of great theological principles and doctrine. I believe that intellectually. Oh, you want to talk about my personal Savior, and you want to talk about my personal relationship. This is my love later from God to me. It allows me to see I'm on the cross in all of his pain and all of his agony. It allows me to see how much he loved me and all oh, that kind of personal relationship that will get you through what everything else forsakes you because you built a place in your life where nobody else can go. I don't understand a lot of things about what Job went through. I know a lot about the Book of Job to to teach you, give you a lot of good things. But I know this: Job went through in seven days what you and I will never go through in our lifetime. He loses everything that you and I will never lose in our lifetime in seven days, and yet, Job has no Bible. He has no church. He has no pastor. He has no friend. The three that show up, you know, they aren't friends. Even his wife turned against him. And then the doctor comes in and says, you lost your kids, you lost your house, you lost your riches, you lost everything, and now you've got a terminal disease that got so bad that you're sitting on an ash heap scraping your boils with a piece of broken pottery. You know what Job did have? And I don't fully understand it, but I do know this. He had a relationship with God because, in the midst of all of that, he said this. He says, You know what? I don't care if he kills me, yet will I trust him. He understood something that we need to understand. He didn't get that from just going to church, he didn't have a church. He didn't get that from just reading the Bible, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't get that from his Christian friend or his Christian TV or the 700 Club or some other book that he read by Watchman Nee or Pete Ruckman or anybody else in the whole wide world. He got that because he had a personal relationship with the God of this universe that felt so confident in him that when the devil came to God and said, hey, what do you got going on? God said, Has you considered my servant Job, the devil didn't bring Job's name up, God did. You know what God said? He's my friend. I got a relationship with him. I often think of Enoch. Enoch walking, Bible says, Enoch, was, Enoch walked with God, was not for God took him. I've often thought about that. No Bible, no church. But he felt enough comfort with God, and here's how it went. I believe that God and Enoch spent time together every day and spent time in the Word of God. I believe that. I believe, I, I, the Bible says, and Enoch was not, and God took him. And I believe that they were walking down the road one day, and God just said, Enoch, you know what? <clears throat> this is a pretty nice place. Enoch said, boy, God, you sure did a whopper when you created this. It's beautiful. I know it's got its problems, but <clears throat> you know what? <clears throat> this is a great place. And God said, yeah, it really is. Enoch and they're walking. They had personal, personal. It wasn't that stereotype of nothing personal that God's people have. It was personal. And there was a day when they walked down that road. Or they walked through that wheat field. Or they walked outside of the backyard. And, and they're looking around. And it is so beautiful. And Enoch said, Lord, for 300 years I've walked with you. And it has been absolutely great. Thanks for coming down here and spending time with me. God said, next week why don't you come up and spend a day with me. Enoch said, you mean it? He said, I mean it. Enoch went to heaven to spend a day with God. Found out that there's no night there. Been there ever since. It's personal. It's personal. But he had to leave it all. He had everything. He had to leave it all. Every man in that Bible was willing to leave everything they had. Abraham, Paul, every one of them. Why? Because they saw something in God and they had something in God where nobody else in the world could go. And it was enough to get them through anything. And when a push come to shove, they said, Goodbye, world, goodbye. It's me and him. It's always been me and him. Oh, it may look like it's different, but it's always you and Him. It's always you and Him. And that's the kind of personal relationship that will get you through when everything else forsakes you. All right, here it comes. Enter the key. Promises of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now let me give you a definition of the promise. Oh, and I could give you 30, 40, 50 verses. that are, These are great promises. I don't want to stereotype the concept promise. You know what a promise is? Thy word have I hidden mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Whatever God puts in your heart to keep you walking from him, from walking with the world, that's a promise. That's a promise. That's a promise. That's a promise. Those are the, I mean, it's like this. Let me give you an example. You're driving home today, and your transmission goes out, or your engine blows up. You get Tom's Tow Service to take it over there to a a garage someplace. Guy checks it out. He says, well, that's going to cost you, that's going to cost you about $1,100. You say, no problem. You go to the bank. You say, hey. How are you doing today? She says, I'm doing fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Lovely day, isn't it? Yeah. Can I have one of those little suckers there? Yeah, go ahead and have one. Hey, let me ask you a question. I need $1,100. My car's on the blink. You know, the engine blew up. You know, they did go. And I need 1100 bucks. She said, No problem. What's your account number? Well, I, I don't have an account number. This is the bank. You got money. I need some money. I, I, you know, I just need, I'm in a tough time right now. Things are bad. I need some money. Well, you gotta have you gotta have an account. What do you, mean you gotta have an account. Can I talk to your boss? Sure. Come over there, sit down in that nice little office over there, you know. And a guy says, "Can I help you?" And you said, "Yeah, thanks for the sucker." But let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. I, 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 my car—I was going down the road coming home from church. I go to Old Path Baptist Church. Oh, yeah, to come there sometime. And I was driving home the other day, and my engine blew up. And you know what? And, I, and it's over the garage. It's gonna be eleven hundred dollars. And so I am it's the bank. Start so out there, First National Bank, and I need eleven hundred bucks. Now, I see woman over there said, I couldn't have it because I don't have any other account. And I don't have an account here. But you know what? This is the bank. I got a need. Please give me the money. He says, sir, you don't understand. Here's how this thing works. You get a job and you work. You take so much of your money and you live on. And then so much of that money you give to the Lord. <laughs> I had to get that in. And then some of that money you put in the bank. And then every month, 12 months in a year, sir, every month, you put $100 in. At the end of the year, $1,200. You need 11, you've got 100 left. Now, you get paid, you work, or you don't work, whatever. Find both cases today. No money, or you get money, you blow it on everything you want. Wild women and song. You do all this, you go here, buy this, get all this stuff. You go to Rent-A-Center because you can get it there, you know, and you get it cheap, pay for it by the month. You go over there and somebody says, buy it today, pay for it four years from now. I never have figured that thing out. If I knew when the rapture was going to take place for sure, I'd make a killing. If I could find one of those, buy it now, pay four years later, and I knew the rapture was going to fall in between, oh, boy. We would live like kings, honey, I'm telling you that. But you never figured that thing out. Shows you where my heart is, doesn't it, okay? Can you blurp that off the tape back there? Anyway. So he says, all right, <coughs> you come to the point, <coughs> you don't save any money. You know what? <coughs> you don't have anything. So when something comes, when, when your car breaks down, you would have nothing on the account. Okay? Spiritual application. God gave you a book called The True Riches. Your heart's the bank account. Put it in, 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 put it in. Your life breaks down. Something happens. Something at work. Something in the home. Somebody dies. (coughs) Your friend turns on you. Your dog bites you. Something happens. You need something. (coughs) You ever wonder why some of God's people, they go around screaming when everything happened and don't know what to do? I'll tell you why. Because they don't have anything on the account. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The true riches are the true riches. And when you put them into your heart, and you put them in your life, and you build it on the account, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds in time. Anything that comes up, you've got enough money in the bank to take care of it. Anything that happens. Anything that happens. You don't have to run to your preacher. You don't have And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there come, it needs to come a time in your life when you handle your own problems. And there's always going to be something you need somebody else to help you with or lay the thing out. That's fine. But everybody in your life needs to come to the point where you understand, hey, look, you know what? <coughs> I can deal with this because I've got it on the account. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9-10, through 10, He says, But it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth, there's your heart, all <laughs> things, yea, the deep things of God. Oh, I'm telling you, It's the promises. It's the promises. It's the promises that God gives you that are the deep things that when you get into the Bible and you get the right attitude of heart with God and you understand having a personal relationship and you understand having a personal Savior, how it is personal to you that though it may be for everybody, they have to claim their own and you can claim it for you, then God gives you the personal promises. You see, it starts with a personal Savior, and it builds to a personal relationship, but both of them are based on personal promises. You know how I got saved? God promised me before the foundation of the world that I could be saved. God promised. For in hope of eternal life, which God promised before the foundation of the world. He promised me. And when I believed that promise, God saved me. You know how I get through my life today? Because God gave me promises to save me and to show me that He's my personal Savior. God gives me promises to get me through every day that shows me I have a personal relationship with Him. And it's all based on the personal promises. The great lost definition in the hearts of God's people today. It is. It is. The place in your heart. The place in my heart. Where nobody goes. Just you and God. Just you and God. You know, when I was a kid growing up, one of the things I remember about my mom and my home, and we had a small house, didn't have a lot, but I remember, my mom, my mom had this little box, and I used to think it was the dumbest box in the world. It was one of those docks that you cranked up, and it was a ballerina on the top, and it played little music, and it danced around, but this ballerina, it was an old box. I think it belonged to her mother or somebody. She only had one leg. One of the legs fell off. And I always thought to myself, what in the world does a one-legged ballerina got to do with anything? And, she, and I'd, I'd go in there, and I'd crank that thing up, and I'd watch her dance around, you know, and I was thinking, well, she does pretty good for a one-legged ballerina, you know, and the music would play, you know, and it would go around, you know, and, and all those things. And, and one day my mother came in there, and she says, don't you, don't, don't, she said, Bob, she said, Bobby, she said, you can do whatever you want to do, but don't ever touch that box again. Don't ever touch it again. Well, okay, mom, but I didn't mean to it. I didn't break the leg off the ballerina. It was already she's I know that box is very special. And one inside is even more special. And I said, well, mom, what's inside it? She opened that up, you know what she showed me? She showed me all the things that her mother had given her. All the things that my dad had given her. All the things, my little bracelet there from when I was born, you know how they used to put those little. Now they put uh, one of those plastic tape things on, it. you know, with back then, they used to have little beads with your name on it. And it used to go around there, and it would be different color for a boy, different color for a girl, and have your name on it. And they were in there for my, for my sister and myself. And, and she began to explain to me that this is my jewelry box. She said, Bob, nobody goes here. She says, in here is all the special things that are keepsakes. In here is all the things that you love and to cherish. And I began to grasp the concept many years ago because I want to tell you something. The jewelry box is your heart. And just like every probably woman in this room has some place maybe not a little box maybe it's a drawer maybe it is a box it's something where you keep the special things that somebody that loved you and cared for you and gave you because of the fact that they loved you more than anything else in this world and it may be the most insignificant thing but you wouldn't trade it for the world i've seen i've seen women that kept ticket stubs from a ball game where they had their first date I've seen my wife keep a ring that I bought at Woolworths when I asked her to go steady many, many years ago that the truth comes out I paid 69 cents for. You're laughing. You know what? Want to hear something that's even funnier? You couldn't buy it today for $10,000. From her, see me afterwards and we'll make a deal. (laughs) (laughs) But you know why? It's in her box. It's not mine. And you know what? Every woman in this place, you have the same thing someplace. You see, I have a personal Savior. And I have a personal relationship that that you can't go. And you need to have one where I can't go. And it's based on the personal promises that in my jewel box, my heart, a special place that's separate from everything else in your life, A fixed spot that never changes, nor loses its value, nor loses its love, based on what the love of your life has given you in that secret moment. And when looking at those precious things, it brings back the flood of those precious memories that will endure for a thousand generations. I often thought of Song of Solomon... I think my favorite passage is in verse, chapter 5, and you don't have to turn to it, but he starts out in verse 8, and he says, she says this, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick of love, love's sake. And I got looking at that, what follows an incredible thing? But when I saw that verse, I realized that she was. this is the picture of you and me. This is what my attitude should be toward Christ. And it's pictured as a woman who the love of her life is not there, And she's telling somebody, if you see him, if you see him, I charge you, if you find him, you tell him that I love him. And as I read down through this, I always got the impression of her sitting by the window, looking down that road that she knows he left on, knowing he's going to come back. And she says, What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O oh, thou fairest among women, talking to the other women, what is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is the, is the most fine gold, his locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are the eyes of doves by the river of waters washed with milk and fitly set his cheeks are as the bed of spices as sweet flowers his lips like lilies dropping sweet-smelling mirth. his hands as the gold now, I don't know if you know or not I always saw her looking down that road thinking about the last time she saw him and remembering what she knew about him and every one of these things in here white ruddy head like gold bushy locks eyes with the doves rivers of waters washed with milk fitly set cheeks hands all of these things are defined in the Word of God to give you a complete, intimate, unbelievable picture of the one you're supposed to have a personal relationship with. His legs are as pillars of marble, set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, is altogether lovely. And I see her putting down the book, putting down the pen. And looking off down that road and saying to herself, and I say it to you, this is my beloved and this is my friend. Deuteronomy 29, 29, here it comes. All this is introduction. But we're almost done. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God the secret things belong unto the Lord our God but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the works of this law you see the deep secret things that are in that book they belong to God and God knows your name and God wants to give you some promises in your jewel box And when God reveals those things to you because of your intimate, personal, you know what? You always say things to people you're more intimate and more secure with than somebody you really don't know. It's the same way with God. You think just because you're saved and going to spend the eternity with Him that that means that a child of God has the right kind of intimate relationship with Him? You know that's not true. And here's a verse that shows you that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law, hiding that word in your heart, putting it into your jewelry box. Now I'm telling you, your personal relationship with a personal Savior based on personal promises. It's the only way you'll ever have the passion of God in your life. It says in verse 29, in 29, 29, it says the secret things. Look at this. Not only to you, but to your children also. Heirlooms for the family. How many times I've seen a mom die or a dad die. And oh, at the funeral they all cry, they all weep, they all say nice loving things. And then when you're back to the home and mom's rings or mom's necklaces or mom's bracelets or the car or how you're going to sell the house all come up, it's World War III. I'm telling you, how many times when dad dies, that there's a fight over the car. I want his shotgun. I want his fishing rod. Well, I want his golf clubs. Well, I want his ring. If I die, guys, when I die, you can have all of that stuff and do with it what you want. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe what it says there. Now, I've never told my family what I'm going to tell them right now. I've got three or four Bibles that I've invested my life in, that i put everything in, and it, it's got everything I've ever done. And it, without even you knowing it, and it, it, it you'd find them. And if anything ever happened to me, and you'd go through it, every one of them is left. i got one left to you and Jason. i got one left to you, and i got the rest of it left to you. And in front of those Bibles, it says, this goes to this one, this one goes to this one, and this goes to this one. I don't want you fighting over my shotgun. I don't have a shotgun. <laughs> I don't want you fighting over my telescope. I don't want you fighting over the car. And I know you wouldn't. But I want you to have the heritage that God has given me of those heirlooms. I want you to look back five years after I'm gone, ten years after I'm gone. God forbid. I mean, don't get dying dying tomorrow. I hope. But I want you to look back and say, well, there's the date that Dad preached this. You know what? I remember when Dad first preached that. Look at that. I want you to look in there and go through and see all the things. See, those are my book of promises. Those are the things that I want to leave to my family as an heirloom. And I'm just telling you, I believe what it says. I believe that He's my personal Savior. I believe that He wants to have a personal relationship with me. And I know that they're based on these personal promises. This book is the mind of God. And the more you love Him, the more He shows you. And the more you get with Him, The more he says, "Hey, let me show you this. Hey, let me give you this," and I'm diligent to mark it down for two reasons. And if you ever saw my Bible that I teach Bible study with on Sunday or Thursday night, there's probably a hundred, two hundred thousand notes in that thing. I do it for two reasons. One, I want to know what the Word of God says, and I'm so stupid I can't remember, so I have to write everything down. Two, I want to pass something on to my family. I have some heirlooms that I want to give them. It doesn't have to do with my ring because I don't wear any. My watch, Kmart, 1995. <laughs> Nothing there. I don't want anything of value left in this life other than the value of things of God. Now, folks, that's what it means. And, and at the same time, I told you I had to use myself as an example. I'm not putting myself up on any pedestal. I'm as rotten, as wicked as anybody you're going to find in this room that's all and if you think I preach this this morning to show you how spiritual I am then you missed my whole heart and you missed the whole point because there ain't nothing spiritual about me outside of the grace of God in my life I'm just telling you I'm defining for you because if we're gonna ever do anything for God in these last days it is gonna take a personal relationship from a personal Savior based on personal promises because it's going to take the passion of God and there is no passion of God anywhere without what I just told you today. There just isn't. There just isn't. He's my personal Savior. I believe He died for me. I have a personal relationship. I don't think He even talks to you. He talks to me intellectually I know that isn't true but you see it may be just all that him and me gonna get me through someday and I know this I love y'all I love my family I love everybody in this room but I know this we're only here because of the grace of God and though God's program listen to me now is the church that's his that's his body today and the Word of God is written in a book for every man to find out. I know all of that. But the bottom line is, in spite of all of that, the real purpose of him coming down and dying was to have fellowship with me and you. But I can't claim it for you. I can only claim it for me. You know what the difference between in this church and any other church or why we're successful and reach people or we don't? It'll be what I preach to you today. I can teach you all the doctrine in the world, and I can show you all the Antichrist has four warts on the left side of his ear, and I can give you all the ugly things that are great whore in Revelation chapter 19. But if it doesn't come down that you don't have a personal savior and a personal relationship built on personal promises, we ain't going anywhere. That's where it starts. What do you got in the jewelry box today? What do you got? And yet at the same time, I know that many of you men and many of you women, you leave a legacy behind to your kids. I know that. I know that. I'm not saying you don't. I told you I wasn't getting on anybody today. I'm just trying to define something for it so you have a better understanding. I love you. We're in this together. And I know that the deep things that are in that book God gives to me and my family every head bowed and every eye closed we're going to be done here in just a moment we'll be on our way but let me just ask you this this morning every head bowed and every eye closed you know I don't know where you're at today with the Lord I really don't I just I know that I know that you love God I know that and I and I didn't preach this today to get on you to make you feel bad I preach this today because I need to define to you what it means. Because we live in a world of misde- misdirection and misdefinition. And the message is sufficient for you. I'm not giving an altar call this morning so you can all come down and get right with God. That's not my intent. I, I, you do that in your seat. But I do want to ask you this with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anybody here, a man or a woman, boy or girl, That you'd say honestly now, and this is probably maybe the most honest time in your life. Would you say, Bob, you know what? If I was to die right now, I don't know for sure that I'd go to heaven to be with the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand up and say, Bob, would you pray for me? And I'll pray for you. I won't embarrass you. If you make any move at all, it'll be your own move. uh, But I'm not going to. But I just want to pray for you. I feel the, feel the, the timing of this time and the spirit of this God demands that. Anybody? Here's my hand, Bob. Pray for me. I'm not sure if I die right now that I go to heaven anybody anybody at all and maybe you're all saved I don't know I just want to ask and I want to pray that's my job anybody anybody at all okay father help us today help us to leave here today understanding a little better what it means to have a personal relationship with you to have you as our own personal Savior that all that comes about because of the personal promises the deep things of God that are revealed to us and become ours and our children's, that we hide in our jewelry box of our heart that no one can ever get to that no one can ever take from us that nothing will ever enter into that that'll steal it away from a little one-legged ballerina gal in a box that danced around my mom taught me a great lesson that there's a place in our hearts that needs to be Hold the things that God gives us that are so special. And yet we live our lives missing all those special things when God wants to have a personal relationship with us. Help us to understand that. Pray for our church. Pray for our people today that that aren't here, that we, we spoke about already and the lady that lost her mother. And Lord, let us leave today loving you just a little bit more, loving each other a little bit more, and loving that book a little bit more. I will thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, for our sake, we ask it. Amen.